Read together verses 12 through 14. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Before we pray this morning, I want to give you just a couple updates on uh, some of our partners in ministry. Uh, The new school year has begun in Lincoln, and so uh, a new year of RUF has begun on that campus. Uh, They're very encouraged. They've got more students this year uh, than they have before. And uh, if you follow them on Instagram, if you're on social media, uh, you can follow them on Instagram. And if you saw uh, the donut crawl that they did as a part of Welcome Weekend, uh, you would have seen our own uh, Maggie Norris front and center. Uh, as a part of what's going on in that ministry, so we want to pray for them. Uh, They are also going through the Sermon on the Mount. That will be their study in large group uh, this fall semester. And then we want to pray particularly for 20 Schemes and Gigi Fan. Uh, Both of them are starting new cycles of their pastor training. Uh, They face particular challenges with that. Most of the folks that they are dealing with uh, don't have college degrees, and in the case of particularly Gigi Fan, uh, the the men who are qualified aren't necessarily even highly literate. And so 20 Schemes has what they call their ragged school of theology. And Gigi Fan has an entirely orality-based uh, system of training pastors. And so we want to uh, remember those uh, partners in ministry as they are ramping up, as it were, uh, new seasons in their particular spheres of influence. So let's pray together this morning. Father, we come now to your word, understanding that particularly today, while this is this is really good news, but it's also a very challenging word. And Father, our temptation always when we are challenged uh, is to sort of bow our neck or thumb our nose and somehow dismiss it. But Father, help us to see as your people that this is the vision for life that Jesus gives those who would be called his disciples. And Father, help us to see this morning that as we uh, think about the task that you have called us to, that of making disciples, and Father, our text for this morning is an absolutely vital and key component to that. Lord, thank you for our partners in gospel ministry, and we pray for RUF as a new semester has begun. We pray for uh, the preaching of the gospel that Thomas is doing there on that campus, and we ask uh, that you would use RUF to either introduce or reintroduce young men and young women to the saving news of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray for the leadership training that both 20 Schemes and Gigi Fan are doing. Thank you for uh, the creative and yet faithful ways in which they are seeking to train uh, men to serve your people and to lead within your church. And Father, we pray that you would use this training uh, to build your church and to build your kingdom. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we re-entered the Sermon on the Mount. And as we did, we noted that Jesus pivots 
in Matthew chapter 7. He's taking dead aim at the relationships that take center place in the lives of the people of God. This morning, Jesus is going to put a great big bow on all of his teaching related to relationships. And he's going to do so by calling us to a particular vision for life. Jesus gives us, as it were, one rule that guides and governs all of the other thinking and all of the other uh, sort of um, as, as we contemplate what our relationships are supposed to look like. Jesus gives us one rule that guides all the others. Now, as we consider Jesus' words this morning, however, we need to pause and be mindful of a very basic principle that we must keep in mind when we read our Bibles. And that principle is this. Context is king. Context is king. Or we could put it another way. A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. A text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. Now, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with proof texts. Proof texts are fine. The issue is usually how we use them. We tend to wield them like clubs, beating whoever over the head has the audacity to disagree with us. Jesus, very carefully and very intentionally, situates his words for this morning, not only within the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, but within the entire Bible. As such, Jesus is succinctly summarizing what the Bible teaches, not just about relationships, but he's summarizing what fundamentally constitutes the people of God. Now, in your bulletin this morning on page 5 and on the screen in front of you, you see something called the big idea. Now, the big idea in one sentence is hopefully what the sermon is about. And so our big idea for this morning is this. Jesus calls us to an exclusive life of God-mimicking generosity. Jesus calls us to an exclusive life of God-mimicking generosity. Two points we want to make this morning. The first one, then, is this. We're to mimic our Heavenly Father. We're to mimic our Heavenly Father. Look at verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, often we've heard this expression, do to others as you would have them do unto you. It's the golden rule. It's one of the most well-known passages, one of the most well-known sound bites out of the entire Sermon on the Mount. But I find it interesting that whenever we quote this particular verse, we leave off the top, the so then or so whatever, and we leave off the tail. For this is the law and the prophets. And when we do that, we need to understand what's happening. When we do that, we're taking this particular text and we're tearing it out of the context that Jesus has given us in which to understand it. Here's what we mean by that. When Jesus says... So whatever or so then, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. For this is the law and the prophets. When he begins with so, 
he's tying it to what has come immediately before. Verse 12. Now last week, we saw that Jesus was speaking about asking, seeking, and knocking. And he ties our relationship with God the Father specifically to the character of God. And what we learn in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, is that our God is generous. He's gracious. As Jesus says in verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good things to those who ask him? Now, right on the heels of reminding us that our Father is generous and gracious, and how much more will he give us good gifts? Jesus says, you also are to be generous like your Father is generous. You're to mimic him in your relationships. Now, he doesn't just tie it to what has come before immediately in verse 11. But when he concludes by saying, for this is the law and the prophets, he's taking us back to something he said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, but he's also pointing us back to the entire Old Testament. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus reminds us, as he says, you heard it said, but I say to you, and by the time he gets done with that section, he's like, hey, because this is the law and the prophets. And by the way, I didn't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. All throughout the Old Testament, we learn that as human beings created in the image of God, we are to be God's ambassadors. We are to be an accurate reflection of who God is and what God is like to those who do not know him. So, Jesus is calling us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, to mimic our Heavenly Father. God is generous in how He deals with His creation. And we, as those who are created in His image from Genesis chapter 2, we're called to be His ambassadors. So since we're called to mimic God, and we're called to be God's ambassadors in the world, we get the golden rule. Now, I've been amazed this past week uh, when Kyle and I were meeting Thursday morning. I was just, I've, I've been stunned the whole week at just the genius of Christ's words. When we think about rules, when we think about sort of what we would call situational ethics, when we think about kind of, well, if this happens, then you want to do this, or as we think about our vocational lives or our professional lives, there is this kind of accepted code of conduct. And Jesus doesn't give us this long, as the scribes and the Pharisees did, he doesn't give us this long set of rules that are a commentary on the Ten Commandments. No, Jesus says, hey, listen, if you want to live out the law and the prophets, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So friends, let's understand, this is not, we call it the golden rule. And it is in the sense that Jesus is giving us a command. Therefore, it is a rule for those who would be called his followers. But what he's really giving us here is a vision for our entire life. 
What Jesus is giving us is much more comprehensive than some sort of checklist of rules. Now, I think you know this, and I think we all do. After a certain point in time, rules are great. But what does every rule have? An exception. There's always an exception. When I was in uh, college, uh, uh, right down the hall from me, there was a, a tennis player. He was only there for one year, uh, but he was from Japan. And so he had to take a language test, and his English was pretty good. Uh, but thinking your English is good uh, in Japan and then coming to the land of, of John Cougar Mellencamp uh, and trying to follow what was going on was a whole different story. And so I remember, uh, and, and I went and looked at my yearbook to try to remember his real name. I can't, we called him Goo, which I know you can't do anymore, but in 1991, that was fine, right? So we would see Goo and we would be talking to him and be like, hey, how's your English coming? Are, are, you, are you figuring out? He's like, oh yeah, it's okay. And we would talk about exceptions to rules in English grammar. And he laughed and said, you know, uh, Kyle, here's what I'm learning. What I'm learning is in English, the exception is the rule. All of English is one big exception. We have these rules, but then we break them all the time in the English language. Well, Jesus gives us a comprehensive vision for how we're supposed to relate to one another. He gives us this beautiful and compelling vision for all of life. So whether you're dealing with your children or your siblings or your spouse, or your parents, whether you're dealing with people at work, whether you're dealing with your boss. Jesus' vision for his followers is for every possible scenario that we could think of. It isn't just a rule. It is much, much more comprehensive than that. Part of the genius, too, is that this vision is fueled by a very powerful force. Jesus knows that as human beings, perhaps the greatest love we possess is self-love. The end of the day, I love me some me. And so the standard that Jesus gives for how we are to interact and how we are to relate to one another is not to be able to stand back and go, well, you know, I've been fair with them. No, the standard that he gives is, hey, if someone treated you like that, like you're treating that person, how would you respond? How would you feel? Would you think they were being quote unquote fair? By the way, uh, 10 times out of 10, whenever someone comes to me and they say, hey, I'm having this issue with this person in my life, but pastor, I want you to know I'm being fair with them. No, you're not. Let me just stop you right there. So whenever you're, whenever you're having that internal conversation about a relationship in your life, and you're going, oh, but I'm being fair with them. No, you're not. You're being a jerk. So just own your jerkiness, repent, and go back and ask yourself, okay, uh, how would I want to be treated? How would I want someone to respond to me? How would I want someone to interact with me? Jesus understands what a powerful force self-love is. And so he says, listen, do unto others 
as you yourself would like to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But the other third part of the genius of this is it then lets us speak the truth in love. It lets us speak the truth in love. See, there are times in which no matter how much I love myself and no matter how much I am convinced of my own awesomeness, I nonetheless do realize and appreciate the need for people to kind of condense the nonsense and tell me things that I don't want to hear. In fact, it's a great act of love when people who love us and care about us are willing to call us on our malarkey. And if you think about, again, remember we said that we have to keep all of this in context. And Jesus says that if you're doing this, you're fulfilling. This is the law and the prophets. And so let's think about the Old Testament. And let's think about the times in which someone had enough love and enough courage to speak the truth and love to another individual. Remember when uh, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes to visit him. And he's leading the people out of the promised land. And Moses has this bright idea that whatever dispute is going on in this uh, ragged, ragtag group of people, he's supposed to hear the dispute personally and he's going to rule over all of it. You remember what, uh, what Jethro said to him? It was really blunt. And by the way, I, I look at this as potentially a future father-in-law, and I'm like, okay, I, I think I can vibe this out pretty good. He's like, he says, what you're doing isn't good. It's way more blunt than that in the Hebrew. But it's basically, you're being an idiot. Stop. These people are too many for you. What are you doing? You can't continue to do this. And so he gives, he speaks the truth in love and gives Moses a vision for how God's people could be better cared for. Or how about the prophet Nathan? David sins with Bathsheba. Nathan comes, tells him this beautiful story, and then ends it with, you're the man. Well, friends, how often do we need someone who loves and cares for us to look at us and say, you're the man. You're the woman. What you're doing is not good. Now, the question I think that this leaves us with, as we think about the golden rule, is am I dealing with other people in this way? Am I dealing with other people in this way? I know some of you are in context of vocationally where I, I, I don't know if I'd ever want to talk to another person. Because I think you could say, I mean, if you say good morning, uh, someone might look at you crossways and, and you're going to get in trouble for it. Or, I mean, it's, it's become, unfortunately, all relationships within our society have become just really tenuous, almost minefields. Because uh, the littlest thing you say can offend somebody and set them off. And then the next thing you know, you're in front of HR having to answer a bunch of questions about why you're, uh, you're basically a psychopath. But Jesus' words here give us a way forward. And I think as we think about the relationships within our lives, be it your parents, your spouse, your kids, your siblings, the people you work with, are you dealing with them 
in the way that Jesus puts forward? Are you doing unto others as you would have them do to you? Well, secondly, then, we see the hard word of Jesus. We see the hard word of Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus follows up, hey, do unto those you would have them do unto you, and then he gives us really one of the most difficult words in the entire Bible. For Jesus tells us there are not many ways to get to the Father. Jesus tells us there's not a variety of pathways that lead to life. Jesus says there aren't multiple avenues by which to enter into heaven. No, in verses 13 and 14, Jesus emphasizes the necessity of the choice that is in front of all of us. Enter by the narrow gate. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And Jesus goes on to tell us that in essence, there are two ways, there are two gates, there are two crowds, and there are two destinations. And we hate that. We love having multiple choices and we hate having to choose. Uh, we're in the process of shopping for a new bed. Ours is, what did we decide, 16 years old? Yeah. Uh, have you shopped for a mattress? By the way, don't do it online. Because every Facebook ad you get from now for the next six months to Christmas is going to be related to somebody's uh, mattress company. And now you can get them in a box and you don't have to go to the store. And it's all, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a complete nightmare. And I actually went to a store and I went and looked. And uh, the very nice sales lady was like, what are you looking for? And I'm like, I just need a mattress. Like, I, I don't need a sleep system. I just, like, I just need, I, I, I'm big. My wife isn't. What do you got? And we're given this just multiplicity of choices. And isn't it wonderful? Well, it's wonderful until you actually have to pick one. And then it's, I don't know. Do I want a foam mattress? Do I want a sleep system? Do I want, I, I, I don't, I, I, I just, I'm going to spend half my life in this. I just, I want something good. That's all I need. And on top of saying that there's a choice that you have to make, Jesus tells us that this choice is binary. Again, within our culture, at the very moment, we hate binary. We hate it so much, we're even rebelling against this most fundamental binary choice or, or binary designation of you're male or you're female. No. And in the midst of wanting to have all of these choices and not wanting to have to land on one, Jesus dares to say to us, there are two ways. There are two gates. There are two crowds. There are two destinations. Choose. Pick one. There's not a door number three. God does not play, let's make a deal. Well, there's this or this. Or, got a little something in my pocket. You want what's in my pocket or do you want door number one or door number two? No, Jesus doesn't do that. 
Because God doesn't negotiate with rebels. No, God says to sinners, listen, I have a word of grace for you. Or I'm going to leave you to receive what you rightly deserve. There's a really interesting podcast. I think I've mentioned it. Uh, It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. If you're a podcast person, I would encourage you uh, to listen to it. My friend Mike Cosper is doing it, and Mike's a great storyteller. Uh, But he did a bonus episode, and he did it on uh, people who are, uh, the phrase now is deconstructing their faith. And he's talking in particular about one leader, a guy named Josh Harris, who was a a well-known pastor. He wrote the book, some of you may have read it, So I I Kissed Dating Goodbye, in which he argues for a courtship model, not a dating model. And Joshua Harris very famously has taken uh, to social media to announce, first of all, uh, he announced that he was leaving the church that he was pastoring and they were going to move to the West Coast, and they did that. And then he announced via social media that he and his wife were getting divorced, and that happened. And then he announced via social media that he no longer, and these were his words, he no longer identified as a Christian. He was deconstructing his faith. And so a part of the conversation that Mike Cosper had with him in trying to understand well, what's really going on and is what you're deconstructing really Christianity or is what you're deconstructing this thing that you are a part of that isn't really the gospel at all. And tellingly, Joshua Harris made this comment. He said, I'm not sure I can embrace a gospel that includes hell. Well, in the words of one of my professors with seminary, your, your argument uh, is not with me. Your argument is with the text. Because from beginning to end, the Bible tells us there are two ways. Ella read it for us this morning. Psalm 1, there's two ways. There's the way of the righteous. There's the way of the wicked. Even within the people of God in Deuteronomy chapter 30, as they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, Moses has half of them go to the sparse mountain, half of them go to the lush mountain. And he says to them, listen, this day you got to pick and you got to keep picking. Because if you pick the way of Mount Ebal, if you pick the way of rebellion, if you pick the way of death, that's what you're going to get. You're going to lose the land. Proverbs is filled with, with these wisdom sayings that remind us, hey, there's a way of foolishness, and guess what that foolishness is going to lead you to? Death. And there is a way of wisdom, and that wisdom is going to lead you into life. Friends, this is a hard word, but it's a gracious word. Jesus is cutting through all the noise. He's cutting through all the hubbub. He's cutting through all the chatter and he's saying, listen, this is reality. You have two choices. There are two ways. There are two gates. There are two crowds. There are two destinations. And if you reject the rescue that God has provided through his son, That, he says, is the way that leads to destruction. Friends, this is a hard word, but it's a gracious word. 
And it's a word that is in keeping with the entire Bible. There are two ways. There aren't multiple ways. There are two. One leads to life. One leads to destruction. This morning, as we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded of the way that God has rescued us. We're reminded that when Jesus says in the Gospels, I am the gate, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, we are reminded of the exclusivity of Jesus' claim. He is the narrow way. He is the gate that leads to life. There is eternal life found in no other name under heaven. For there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Friends, the table reminds us that our God has rescued us. That he has graciously and lovingly paid the penalty for rebels. That in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is life to be had. Let's pray. Father, Thank you. Thank you for uh, this hard word, a hard word that nonetheless tells us the truth. And Lord, we pray this week as we as we think about what it means to be salt and light, and as we think about what it means to proclaim the gospel, uh, Father, help us to, to bear in mind always that we can't, with our lips, be telling people that Jesus loves them and yet treat them poorly. That can't, we can't be speaking of the grace and mercy of God and be a, just a complete jerk. So, Father, help us to see what a, what a wonderful tool for making the gospel beautiful, the golden rule is. Father, give us patience and understanding. Father, give us grace to treat others as we ourselves would be treated. Father, give us the courage to do so because we know that there will be people who will be like, you're an idiot. So, Lord, help us in the midst of that. Strengthen us. Encourage us. Help us to be salt and light in the midst of a world that desperately needs it. And, Father, uh, we pray that as we do so, as we live the golden rule, we would Combine that with the courage and the ability to speak of the two ways, the two gates, the two crowds, and the two destinations. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow and hard is the way that leads to eternal life. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.